Just remember, it's hashtag Combo Nation. Combo Nation! Oh, oh, oh. Can they hear us now? Good! <laughs> what up? What up? What up, everyone? Welcome to episode 348 of Combo's Court, and I am Combo. Rate, review, punch down on that subscribe button. Don't forget to do all of that. Today's show, Dr. Tim DeFrancesco joins in to talk about his path to becoming the strength and conditioning coach of the Los Angeles Lakers, working with Kobe, athletic performance, and more. You could find Tim on Instagram at TD Athletes Edge. That's T D A T H L E T E S E D G E. You know you can find me on Instagram at one two combo. That's O N E T W O C O M B O. Intro music by Luca Beats. Let's get into it. Combo's Court. How are you feeling today, man? Great. Thanks, Andrew. I'm excited for this. Oh, most definitely. Uh, tell me about your path to becoming an NBA strength and conditioning coach with the Lakers. So I, I think early on, I knew I wanted to blend my passion, my love for basketball and sports with my intrigue and excitement to learn about the human body and kind of preparing for the game. Look, I was a five, eight, five, nine, five, ten, or 11, depending on who you talk to, who really couldn't do a lot athletically, but wanted to see how far I could level up my game. And I loved preparing my own body and finding ways to find an edge to getting into that next level, wherever that may be. For me, that topped out at division three college basketball at Endicott college. But even there, I just loved that process. I mean, D three schools, there's not a lot of strength coaches usually it's the athletic trainer who just gets tapped with hey go do some weight room work I gotta go tape ankles or do my job and so the head coaches that I played for often would just toss onto my plate uh, it's on you to get our team ready and I actually love that puzzle to solve and I I would have my teammates coming back to me saying, I don't know how you put that all together, but it, it really worked. And um, I would hate to go back and look at some of my, my early attempts at a comprehensive strength and conditioning program, but I was, I was out there learning about it and, and finding ways to get our, myself and our team in physical uh, condition and, and bigger, faster, stronger, but also durability. And I've certainly learned a lot more since those days, but that was really kind of where it started for me, that bug, that itch to do that. And so I became a certified licensed athletic trainer for my undergrad. I immediately went and got my doctorate in physical therapy, just wanted to bridge that gap. And funny story. I mean, I can remember sitting outside of a uh, an exam room, getting ready to go in for a practical exam. And my buddy in PT school being like, Hey, I'm going to go take that CSCS exam, the, the certified strength and conditioning specialist specialist exam the, over the next month here. Are you thinking about doing that? And I said to him, man, I'm just trying to pass this practical exam right now. I, I can't even think about that, but really. So at that moment, it was not, 
I, I just was like in such a in the moment get through PT school zone, but it really was where I was headed. I wanted to be able to bridge the gap of the there's great. I think there's great physical therapists out there and there's great strength coaches. And sometimes having somebody to bridge the gap between the two is not always served. So I, I always felt like it was a no brainer. If I already had the athletic training background, and then I was getting that PT background, the true rehab phase of things, and then to build it out and really round it out and serve athletes to be able to help them had to be sort of that understanding of the strength and conditioning side. So after PT school, I dove headfirst into that and, and just loved it. And so what happened there was I had, a, I get a call from my former high school basketball coach and he took a job with the Bakersfield jam formerly the NBA D league, now the G league and the, the Bakersfield team doesn't even exist anymore, but they, uh, so he, he took that job out there with coach Will Voigt, who has had a, a really fascinating path in, in pro basketball in and around pro basketball and that kind of thing as well. And, um, they were looking for a athletic trainer and maybe somebody who could do some strength and conditioning for the team as well. But he really wasn't calling for me. He was asking about my brother who's an athletic trainer and strength coach. He was working with the Yankees at the time and my brother couldn't do it. So I was like, look, I, I could do it. And, um, I took that job in Bakersfield and I can get it, get into that process of what it's like to be a strength coach and athletic trainer in the minor leagues in a little bit. But that really put me in a, ch in a chance to had gave me a chance to be in front of Gary Vitti and on his radar with the LA Lakers. He's the legendary athletic trainer who was there for 32 years, eight rings, 12 championship uh, finals uh, appearances. And, and he was looking for a physical therapist who was willing to take the role of the weight room and not be feel like they were tossed in there and, and, and just wanting to do physical therapy all the time, which was me. And so that kind of got me to that point. And, and, and Gary reached out and when the, when the Lakers call, you, you ask, you, you, you put your stuff down and you head out. That no, most definitely. Um, every strength. That's a great story, by the way, every strength and conditioning program focuses on something. Right. And yeah. I feel like when you're focused on something, that means you're not focused on something else. If that makes sense to you. How do you find that balance? Is it more assessments? Is it watching a player play? And how do you know what to focus on when dealing with an athlete? Super easy. So your point is right. It starts with the assessment. It has to start with assessment. So that gives you the roadmap. But then the easy part for me is I just have one objective and the other things are byproducts and they will happen. But the one objective is durability. So mm -hmm. if you focus on the durability piece, because bigger, faster, stronger, if that's your goal and that's what you get hyper-focused on, you can miss out on what it takes to create the durability. So you got this bigger, faster, stronger person, but they're not healthy. So who, what good is that for, for, play, for a player or a coach or, or, or whoever's involved in that? Yeah. And so that's the, that is the filter that is the target that I'm aiming for in every program that I write is durability. And what I look at specifically for basketball jump landing athletes is the, what I call five plus one zones of lower body durability. So what those are really quickly, you have the zone one, starting from the foot up, you have zone one, plantar fascia, calf Achilles, and then you have zone, zone two, you have hamstring zone three, you have adductor inner thighs zone four, you have hip flexor quads 
Zone five is going to be real big for basketball players as well, which is quad tendon, patellar tendon. Zone six or the plus one, sometimes for basketball athletes, a lot of times for endurance athletes is that lateral line, your IT band stuff. So once I started really writing programs saying, am I hitting those areas for durability? Things started to change to change on the results that I was getting and the durability that I was creating. And suddenly players are out there longer, they're doing their job. And then of course, while you're training, you're going to still get the bigger, faster, stronger stuff too. So I, I would guess I might be wrong that probably every athlete you came across has some kind of imbalance, right? Totally. That's, that's really normal. I mean, I tell people, first of all, nobody's driving around with a brand new car off the lot for a body. And then also asymmetries are normal for humans. So what we need to figure out is if there's an asymmetry that's abnormally big in its gap, right versus left, that kind of thing, outside of limits, outside of the buoys, in terms of the level of asymmetry there, we need to figure out why that's happening and where it might be causing problems. But to get paralyzed on the idea that everybody should just be symmetrical and perfect all the time, I think is an error that some people make too. Wow. That's fascinating. I could go on for hours about this kind of stuff, but I did want to, right. <laughs> I did, maybe we'll get back to some of it, but I did want to shift to Kobe because you swayed yeah. him away from Olympic lifts. So yeah. my question to you is what kind of program did you nudge him or push him towards. Right. So I actually just released today on my podcast, the basketball strong podcast, which actually I think Phil white, my co-host was on with you. Earlier. 100%. So, Phil, Phil yeah, is great. Phil is Phil's, great. Man. Phil's amazing. So yeah. we released one where Phil and I go back and forth and I share a ton of my Kobe stories, a ton of, well, the eight lessons that I learned from Kobe, but some really, really great stories in there, including a story about Kobe and Kanye that is classic and, um, and, and a couple others there, one about a, a game pregame scenario at, uh, at MSG where, where uh, I just talked about what he went through to get onto the court that day. But really we, we delve into in a earlier podcast episode than that one too, like you said, this, thing that I had to go through with Kobe of late in his career, he was finding his power and explosiveness start to dip mm. and he recognized it, of course. And so he wanted me to come up with a plan that was going to get him there. And in another episode that we did on the basketball strong podcast, Phil and I talked about the, the pitfalls of Olympic lifting for basketball or taller, especially taller, longer levered athletes. And so the quick and dirty there is longer levers are harder to move. That's physics. And then when you talk about a complex movement, like an Olympic lift, there's a lot going on there with that, that requires levers to get really far away from the body, including arms, legs, and, and then this taller, longer spine that basketball players have often. And so when you put those players into that scenario my argument is always don't forget basketball players also have to unlike an offensive lineman they have to do a explosive battle work some endurance work but also this finish with the fine motor skills what's your touch like what's your shooting all the stuff that goes on to get the ball in the hoop is fine motor stuff so we can't we can't risk dinging up an elbow a shoulder a wrist or somebody's low back because we're putting barbells overhead and we're doing this stuff that's explosive. And that's back to our, my original point is my objective is durability. If your objective is bigger, faster, stronger, you might go ahead and choose and double down on Olympic lifts. Whereas I'm going to say, yeah, but I'm compromising my objective of durability in my opinion, if we put that person under that bar in that type of format. 
So what I talked to Kobe about that day and, and, and he was incredible in that way. And one of the lessons I learned from Kobe was just how important it is to be curious. He's so curious about everything. He wanted to know the why it wasn't going to be good enough to be like, Hey, show up. Well, don't worry. I got you. We'll get the prop power going this summer. He's like, no, why, why are we going to do this plan that you're talking about? That isn't Olympic lifts because earlier in his career, he was used to the typical Olympic lift explosive work and, and track workouts and things like that, that I was saying, Hey, maybe there's a better way at this stage in your career. I don't need to go over into the athletic training room and tell Gary, Hey, Kobe's wrist is just got dinged up. Cause we were doing, uh, over an Olympic lift over his head or something. I, I don't need that. And neither right, do right. you. And, and so, so my thing is, look, let's get this French contrast method idea going of contrast training, where you kind of take a, let's say a trap bar deadlift, a hinging kind of squat hinge hybrid exercise to develop posterior chain, glute, hamstring strength, and turn that strength into power by then putting the trap bar down and doing eight, 12 explosive squat jumps. Yeah. So yeah. later, later on, then we can go band resisted squat jumps, something like a vertex, um, a vertimax type of setup where you just can use bands to recreate that type of setup and that kind of thing. And guess what? We can get that power and pop and explosiveness you're talking about wanting more of without this risk. I know you're probably not, unless you just totally screw up the form on the trap bar, or unless you just do the, the jumping recklessly, you're not going to get hurt in those two things. And we both get what we need. So he's like, let's go. Uh, Grover was using those kind of contrasts years ago, right? With his original book, uh, Jump Attack. Totally. And I tell people all the time, Grover, Tim was great with me, Tim. I overlapped while Tim was still overseeing some of Kobe's training when I very first got there. And before the sort of baton got handed over to me more, um, more completely. And Tim would put me under his arm and, and just talk to me about the things he learned along the way. And I think some people at the time, our, our industry of trainers, rehab professionals, and strength coaches did get caught up in, and sometimes still do, this idea that everything has to be super functional. Everything has to look and, and be total body and, and be really, really sort of, I think we swung too far and got away from some of the tr tried and true traditional things. I think Tim did a nice job of making sure that the tried and true was in those players, MJ, Kobe, those players, Dwayne Wade, that he worked with, it worked. And I, I saw that. I saw him doing sessions with Kobe where – I learned from Tim, it's okay to not get intoxicated by the sexy, crazy new stuff. And we can really get a big bang for our buck in a very, very safe way, low risk, high reward way with a player like Dwayne, like MJ, like Kobe, and be able to do stuff like a leg press, which at one point, couple of years back was laughable by a strength coach who said they were progressive and, and, and doing things in a, a cutting edge evidence-based way. Guess what? The pendulum, pendulum swung back. Now leg presses are back in and we're saying, Oh, wow, look at what that could do for that zone five area that I mentioned earlier, the patellar quad tendon stuff where people get those jumpers knee type things and, and, and stuff like that. And, and guess what? Now we're saying, you know what, that tried and true dinosaur method had something to it. Do you like the idea of microdosing because it's something like I've been playing around with myself lately? Um, you know, like in the morning, I'll do like a little two minute workout just to, you know, kind of so I feel it, uh, you know, it kind of like hits those muscle receptors. I think I don't yeah. know the science of it as you would. But 
What are your thoughts on players getting maybe a lift after a game, maybe two or three smaller workouts? And do you believe also lifting maybe after a game and then getting a full day's arrest the next day instead of having to lift the next day? What are the benefits in all of that? Huge. So Steve Blake and Meta World Peace were two guys that had really patterned themselves and created a habit over time that I worked with to be able to take advantage of exactly what you said in the NBA. And, and it's not just the NBA. I mean, there's, there's a lot of games that young athletes have to play at all different levels now. And you've got to look at your seven day period and say, well, when am I going to get that? How do I create the biggest window of recovery, but still yes. get the work in that I need? Because the error that gets made is, well, what I could do is I guess I, dang, I guess I got to skip the lift today and, and I'll get one later in the week. But then you string out too many of those and your bucket is leaking. You're not topping it off with the resistance strength work. So therefore your durability is leaking and, and, and your bulletproof is leaking. And so what you have to think about to your point exactly is, and Steve and um, Steve Blake and Meta World Peace did this to a T. I guess it's Meta Sandiford, our test now. He changed it again. Okay. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but um, the, uh, they did a great job of saying, look, we've got to fly out after uh, early in the morning tomorrow. I'm not going to want to lift, certainly before we get on that flight. I'm not going to want to lift when I get the ho to the hotel in Utah either. Cause I'm going to be tired. I've got somebody to meet in Utah or whatever it is. And then we play the next day. So when am I going to, I got to get it after this game right now. So we'd be at the Staples center. I, I get stuff guys through nutrition lines and make sure they got ice on them and everything else. And I'd meet Steve and Meta in the lock in the weight room at Staples. And we get 20, 30 minutes of good work in. And again, just topping off their durability buckets, making sure that what they're getting as the season goes on and it gets harder and harder to keep yourself in, in check physically is, is done. So that's huge. And then the other side of it though, is you got someone like Antoine Jameson who patterned and have created a habit of a, a brief micro dose, as you said, intense but brief low volume high intensity workout right before a game so there's a ton as you said to turning on the the switches so to speak of our body neuromuscularly and preparing ourselves for a game situation there's there's great evidence to show that doing some explosive intense work and and sort of pushing some heavy weight very briefly in different patterns and positions prior to competition time can be very very helpful from an activation and, a, and, and kind of turn our switches on type of standpoint. And so some guys I think get, and, and, and guys and girls who play the game get worried, Oh, I'm going to mess up my shot right before the game, all this other stuff. But look, we're not saying do a hundred bicep curls and, and do a bunch of military presses overhead and all this other stuff. We're just saying, think about the body areas that you need to have ready. Let's go in and get that work. And then let's go get to work in the competition. It could be very, very beneficial. Would activation be the word? Just keeping everything yeah. activated? Yeah, totally. Yeah, for sure. And potentiation is really the word. We're potentiating the neuromuscular system. So think about like your nervous system and your muscles as like a, a wire, a series of wires that like if you go to turn a light switch on you turn the switch and it tells the light bulb to go on but it's like you could do that in a way that turns that light bulb on at full bright power or you could do it in a way that it's just kind of it's on but it's dim so when you do that potentiation 
strategy of doing some heavy work right before you get that light bulb on full blast. All right. So through the course out through the course of a season, you're getting plyometric work in practice and during games. It's obviously not structured plyometric. So how much um, plyos do you like to add in during the season? Because I think it could easily be overdone, right? easily overdone it's really taxing on the nervous system neuromuscular system to overdo that and it can just create sort of overtraining effects of of unusual levels of fatigue and and wearing down and so you're definitely getting jumps and landings in your practices in your games that kind of stuff it's really 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 short small amount of dose i'm talking like two four six reps type of thing and so to throw it out completely, I think is also an error to overdo. It can be a huge error and somewhere really, really small minor kind of medium to small level dosage, the poisons in the amount in the dose. And so underdo overdo, you don't have the right dose. You don't get what you need. You do have to keep things topped off one way to keep tendons happy and, and, and doing what they want to do both healthy and performing right is to do some things like brief jump ropes or quick pogo jumps or things like that. You just don't need a lot of them during the season. I love, I, I, yeah, yeah, I love Go jumping ahead. rope. I love jumping rope. It's, oh, it's so good. Yeah, yeah. It's so good, especially for youth athletes, right? Because some of the things that they struggle with is their body's growing. Their ankles are trying to figure out how to work with their knees and their hips and that kind of thing. It just helps you. You're, you're as a young athlete doing 30, 60 seconds of speed jump rope or that kind of thing, pre-practice or pre-workout or a couple times a week can be really, really helpful to help your lower body just organize itself and and then get that sort of um, the the foot and ankle stiffness and strength that it needs to, to have that pop when you're out there. Is there anything you believe that all humans should be able to do athletically, whether it's an assessment or a protocol? What are your thoughts on that, just in terms of human beings in general? Yeah. So I always talk about squat, sprint and jump. If you could do those things, keep those qualities as long as humanly possible. Yeah. yeah. And so one of the ways to do that and that, that if you took it from a, a basketball player standpoint, if you're 10, 12, 14 years old, you should definitely be able to do those at a very high intensity. And, and you should definitely be able to squat getting your butt down close to the ground. Now, that's not always the case. We see a lot of basketball players with really, really challenged and limited ankle mobility. Hip mobility is rugged, and they're not looking really strong on their squat because organizing a long spine is really hard to get down into that position. But to work on that is really critical. And the from the sprint standpoint or from the jump standpoint a lot of young basketball players are not understanding or or practicing the the landing what goes up has to come down so if you're not going to practice and prepare your tissues but also practice the skill of landing then that's going to be a problem one way to do that real quick real easy with no equipment is something called i call a, a drop squat and so some people call it a snap down and so with that you're just going to stand up on your tiptoes knees extended hips hips up and and arms up over your head so you picture yourself tiptoes up in your your tallest position and then all at once you punch the ground elbows hips and heels and you drop down and punch the ground with your elbows, hips, and heels into the bottom of your squat. And it's preparing for the decelerations. That's really, really important. What's some low-hanging fruit that you see athletes maybe not working enough on these days or throughout the course of a season or even in the offseason? I, I think that the stuff that's really, really easy to do, very low equipment required, and 
things that have a really big bang for its buck, something like a wall sit. And, and again, I, this is my filter. I I'm, I'm looking at, when you say low hanging fruit, I'm thinking, what's the most important thing to keep this young athlete, this mid-level athlete, this older athlete on the court, it's gotta be durability. So look, a wall sit gets tossed away because it's, oh yeah, that's, they used to do that in gym class in the, in the, in the seventies and eighties. We don't, but that's so good to load the quads, load the patellar tendon, the quad tendon, the patellar tendon is that little ropey structure underneath your kneecap that attaches to the, the bumpy bone on the front of your shin. And a lot of players get that jumper's knee in that area, but one of the best way, and most people get told, Hey, stretch it, ice it, rest it. Well, every kid, every person that's ever had that, that I talked to tried that and it did make the pain go away for a little bit, but it came right back when they went back to their activity. So let's not do that as much. And let's not just fall back and cross our fingers on that. Let's do something to strengthen that tendon and make it more durable so that it isn't painful and telling you, Hey, you're doing too much to me because we got it stronger. Wall sits great for that. Shoot for 20, 40, 60 seconds at a time. You can even go up on your tiptoes and strengthen your calves and Achilles and plantar fascia all at the same time. Big giant bang for its buck on that. Another thing is something like a, you could do, well, jump rope. Jump rope's a, a great one. That's a yeah. really low-hanging fruit uh, a thing to work on durability and performance of the ankle, calf, lower leg. And then something like being able to just, just work on different push-up positions and it, from, from the floor and, and that kind of thing can really help. Because don't forget, basketball players have to do a lot with their upper body. You've got to create and take contact, absorb contact at the rim, all that kind of stuff. You have to be able to do that from the upper body standpoint. You mentioned wall sits. I think that's interesting because from what I'm thinking, you can correct me if I'm wrong, that an ISO hold probably brings you a lot of value with low impact, right? Or no exactly. impact. Exactly. Yeah. No impact. And you don't have the concentric eccentric portion of the movement, meaning you don't have the shortening, lengthening of the muscle as you're doing it. So you don't have as much soreness afterwards. And so you're getting yeah. the topping off on those ligament, on those tendons that are really important. You're strengthening your quad muscles, really important. And you don't have the soreness that players say after a workout session, oh, I don't want to do that because I got so sore last time. That's an exercise you could do without having expecting a ton of soreness. Yeah. And I noticed if you do something that you've never done before, you see the biggest adaptation in the beginning. So really enjoy that moment when you start seeing those results in the beginning. That's it. Yeah. No doubt. Definitely. No doubt. You get that big spike. Most definitely. Okay. So uh, to finish off, give me some advice you would give yourself before starting with the Lakers that you now know now? So I think what it comes down to and what I look back at and I say, that's good to know now. And I'll use that is when I took the Lakers job, I was, I did not have an assistant strength coach. Every other team in the league did. Um, I was basically in charge of our nutrition and I was asked to do a lot of what our is termed now in terms of sports science and athlete monitoring. I tried to do all those things at a high level and did probably all of them at a mid level. And I would moving forward and that you could apply this to anything. This could be a player who's trying to get their skill set up over the off season and coach had given them six things to work on, but you've got to identify one or two that you say, if I do that and I get really good at this, this off season, that's going to help me the most. So for my example, if I had just sort of said, you know what, unfortunately, I've got to say no to some of the requests for me to take over some of the nutrition and do the sports science stuff. You pay me to do 
weight room strength and conditioning in a, in a really high level way through the lens of a physical therapist. Let me double down on that. And that's really the thing. That's the trick because it's so hard. Everybody says I have the, I, these are my priorities. Well, you can't have multiple priorities. First of all, priority is, yeah. is only, you can only have one and yeah. to single task is really hard to do because we, we get into the trap of saying I, I can do it all. I want to have it. That's part of our ego telling us that, but you can't, you can't multitasking is a, is, is not possible. Your brain actually can't even do multiple things at once. You just think you can. And so then to obtain a skill and get better at it or do really well at something, you're just eroding your yourself in your efforts. If you're not able to really create one priority, stick to it, double down on it. I think that's the thing I learned the hard way. Dr. Tim, Great stuff. You're always welcome back on the show. Where can we find you? Social media. Tell us more about Basketball Strong as well. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm on, I'm very active on Instagram at TD Athletes Edge and DM me there. Check in over there. I post daily on mostly training and injury based solving nagging injury based type of content, but other things around re recovery and nutrition and, and rehab as well. And so there's lots of great videos over there, lots of, of great thoughts and things going on over there, but I'll get back to DM. So hit me there. And then, yeah, Phil White and I, we are about 12 to 13 episodes in on our passion project here with the basketball strong uh, podcast. And with that, we've really created a, 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 place where we can have conversation and share knowledge on what it takes in our opinion to be basketball strong. And when we dissect that, what that means is part of that is physical. There's a part of a physical preparation to be basketball strong. The other part of that is what happens when the game gives you adversity in one way or the other, maybe it's an injury, maybe it's, you didn't make varsity you were trying to, and you, you ended up on JV, maybe whatever it is, a setback that you have, are, are looking at as I didn't expect this. And I've got to come back from this. So we we've got, we've had a ton of guests on that are, are really being able to share the setbacks that are natural in life, but how they applied leadership skills and got through them. So it's sort of 50% the science of preparing your body and 50% the stories of setbacks and comebacks. And we're just having a blast with it. And um, we've got to get you on there at some point soon. Oh, anytime, 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 Dr. Tim. Thank you so much. Uh, this was a great conversation. Learned a lot. It's always great talking athletic development and more. Uh, yeah. You're always welcome back on the show and talk soon. Thanks, Andrew. So good. Anytime. There it is. Another episode of Combo's Court. Punch down on that subscribe button if you haven't already. Thank you to everyone who tunes into the show across the globe. And thank you to Dr. Tim for joining in. We appreciate you. Be on the lookout for episode 349. Combo out.